Well, happy Sunday, everyone. Thanks for taking some time to join in with us to hear what the Lord might be saying to you and to our church today. Uh, we've been sitting for a little while, so if you're at home or um, you've been sitting on the couch, it might be a good time to stand up, stretch it out a little bit. Um, you can practice your TikTok moves, whatever you need to do. Um, and, uh, and yeah, we're going we're gonna to spend some time talking about the Lord today. We're just going to spend some time uh, sharing the word today. I want to give all the kids that are watching a couple little things to look for. Um, it's real simple. Today we're going to use a couple different uh, words from other languages. So you got to figure out what the word is and what language it is um, if you want some of those clues. But um, there's a lot of information going around these days. We're constantly being inundated um, with, with uh, different things from the news to Netflix to everyone's become a Notre Dame of sorts and, and uh, posting all their predictions of what's really happening in all this world. And uh, this morning, what I don't want to do is I don't want to just add to the noise. And I'm so grateful that we have the word of God, which is enduring. It has withstood the test of time. And my prayer has been that as, that as I speak these words from God's word, that his voice, his words would actually mingle with those things. And it would, it would nourish our souls. And it would establish us in the truths that are everlasting. That, that won't just come and go based on the seasons and based on whatever we face in our circumstances. Um, and one of the, the words that I've been really chewing on this week comes from 1 Corinthians 13, 12 through 13. And it speaks about, I think, a little bit of our situation both um, in this COVID season but as a whole in life. And it, and it speaks to the enduring things that God wants to produce in us. It says this in the message translation. The message translation is more of a thought-for-thought thought kind of modern translation. It's not really a word-for-word -word translation, but, but it says this. We don't yet see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist. But it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We'll see it all then. We'll see it all as clearly as God sees us, knowing him directly just as he knows us. But for right now, until that completeness, we have three things to do to lead us towards the consummation. Trust steadily in God, hope unswervingly, and love extravagantly. And the best of the three is love. And if those aren't some words that really just kind of cut through all the noise and confusion of our world, I don't know what is. These words have withstood the test of time, and they'll be true both now and forevermore. Today, I do want to unpack um, what it means to trust God uh, steadily, to trust steadily in God. Um, the New Testament word there, if, if you do a word-for-word -word translation, it doesn't say trust steadily in God. It actually just uses the word faith. Some of you have heard that. Faith, hope, and love are the three that remain, that endure, and the greatest is love. But today, I want to talk about faith. Um, before we do, though, before we jump into our teaching, I want to do some highlights from this last week. Um, so you ready for this? Here are some of the highlights from my week. Our governor told us we have to stay home for another two weeks. It's not really a highlight. It's more of uh, what it feels like when I was a kid and my parents would send me to my room um, after I'd done something wrong. So we got that going for us. Also, we're getting so desperate around my house that I, David Stockton, um, I, I did a spa day for my wife and my daughters. It took about 20 minutes. It wasn't a full day. It'd be more like a short spa treatment, maybe. And it included cucumbers for their eyes. And then I put carrots between their toes. Thought that would help, too. Um, I put on some soothing music, and I, uh, and I read some poetry to them, including one about passing gas. 
I just couldn't, I just couldn't totally dive into the whole thing. <laughs> and lastly, um, a highlight of the week is we didn't get over 100 yesterday. Yes, that's some wooing there. But it's coming, it's coming. So anyways, back to faith now. Um, we're going to be talking about faith. Faith is a really big deal in the Bible. It's like the Justin Bieber of pop music. I had some other ones, but I don't even know what they are. It's like the ninja of Twitch. I don't even know what that means, but heard it was cool. So there you go. Um, anyways, faith is a big deal in the Bible. In John chapter 6, um, the, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the ones who understood the Bible the best at that time, they asked Jesus, what is the most important work that we can do? What's the, what's the most important thing? And Jesus said very clearly in John 6, the work of God is this. It's to believe in the one that he sent. It's faith. It's the most important thing. It's, it's, it's kind of what pivots our entire existence. It, what gets us from where we are into the salvation that God has for us. Faith. It's very important. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, the writer says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So faith, it's a really big deal. And, and so what we're going to do is we're going to unpack that word faith. In the New Testament, in the New Testament is written in Greek, Koine Greek, and, and in Greek the, he, uh, the, the word for faith is pistis. It's kind of a funny word, but pistis, and, and what it has is it has a connotation of conviction. It's not just something that you intellectually decide, but it's something that there's been enough evidence intellectually. There's been enough proof of it over time that you become convinced of it, compelled by it. Your life has been changed by it. You now do things differently because of it. And that's the concept for the New Testament idea of Greek. That's the Greek. That's the word that Jesus used. That's the word the writer of Hebrews uses, that word pistis. And, and it's that continual convincing. It's, it's, it's proving it over and over and over. I think of that song that we sing, Jesus, Jesus, um, precious Jesus, oh, oh for grace to trust him more. How I've proved him over and over. And as we look through our, our, our history, um, as we look into our own lives, as we look into creation, we see there's evidence all around to support the reality that God is powerful and that God is loving. When we look at all of the intricacies in creation, from the, from the vast cosmos to, to the smallest quarks, there is so much detail, there is so much care in this creation that brings about life and joy and beauty. And yes, there is heartache and all of those things, but, but those don't deny, those don't overcome the joy and beauty and light that God has created. Those were created by our sin. So there's evidence there. There's also evidence in, in, in our emotions, in the, the father heart. Yesterday we were listening to a song about um, a dad kind of giving his daughter away in marriage, and I was just falling apart big time. I just was so overwhelmed, so gripped with the intensity of emotion of what it would mean in that moment to have spent all those moments with my daughter, loving them, seeing them grow, and then to be able to give them away in marriage and, and kind of whatever that moment is going to be, it's just going to be intense. I'm going to be a puddle. It's going to be rough. Um, but that is not something that, 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 that just kind of naturally um, I would do. I mean, I'm kind of selfish. I'm all of those things. But yet in all of my selfishness and all of my sinfulness, there's still this there's something inside of me that, that speaks to, that echoes, that resounds with the heart of God. Um, and not only that, but, but God didn't just leave us all of those things, but ultimately the greatest proof and evidence for his power and his love is when he sent his son. 
the incarnation of Jesus, that, that Jesus came, was born, walked among us. He lived a sinless life, demonstrating to all of the people at that time in natural recorded history of the power and the love of God and ultimately faced down death with the crucifixion and then what rose from the dead, again, demonstrating the the power and the love of God. And, And then the promise to us now is that one day he will return and we will see the fullest expression of the power and love of God. And we talked about that a couple weeks ago, what the return of Christ will look like. But there's evidence over and over and over to prove to us. God doesn't ask us to believe or be convinced of something blindly or without proof, but he asks us to continue to do it. And in my own life, I remember coming to faith and getting serious about the Lord. And just a couple years later after that, my father had taken his life. And there was this moment of, okay, God, is this stuff real? Is this just some idea or some kind of group I got caught up in? Or does this faith that that I have in you, does it actually show up and cause a change? And I can tell you, it absolutely made a difference. The substance, the evidence of God and his goodness showed up as I continued to believe in him. And then as my mom passed away from cancer, same thing. And on and on again, I could share so many stories of how faith in God has produced Those very things, hope and love and peace in my life, even in the face of hard, hard things. So that's the the New Testament concept, pistis, uh, of of what faith is, that there's this this, um, conviction based on evidence. And now I want to look to the Old Testament and see what the Old Testament has to do with faith. And so here comes another word. This word is amen. It's kind of like amen, but it's it's, uh, amen. It's it's faith um, in in the Hebrew which the Old Testament's written. And it, it always shows up in a verb form. It always has action as a, as a connotation to it. And I think that's very interesting. And there's a story in the Bible that I think sums this up really well in, in, uh, in Numbers chapter 13. And it starts in, in verse 20, 27 is where we're going to start. Numbers 13, 27. Here, um, the, the people of God, the Israelites had... had had left Egypt. They'd seen the the 10 plagues and the power of God demonstrated. They'd been led out to the Red Sea. They'd seen the power and love of God care for them as they were able to go through the Red Sea and and to see their enemies defeated. Then we see the power and love of God on display time and time again in the wilderness as he provided for their needs. And now they're all the way to the edge of the promised land, the very thing God promised he would lead them to, this land that flowed with milk and honey. And so we're there and God says, I want you to send 12 spies into the land so that they can go see how good this land is that I have for you. And they can get excited, just as excited as I am about you guys experiencing this. And so let's read at their account when the spies came back. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. It's just as God had said. Here is its fruit. And they showed him the fruit. But the people who live there, they said, are powerful. And the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb, one of the spies, silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we will certainly do it. He was convinced. But the men who had gone up with him said, 
We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said the land we, um, sorry, they said the land we put, passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, sorry, I totally messed this up. So that's what they said in, in their, in their, now we're skipping on to chapter 14. This is what the, the, the Caleb said. He said, then the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone because the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Then in verse 10, the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. The Lord said to the Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me? In spite of all the signs I have performed among them, I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them, but I will make you into a nation greater and stronger than they. Now, obviously, that didn't happen, but the Lord was frustrated. He was upset. There was this challenge between the 10 uh, spies that went in and Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb were saying, we can do this. God is calling us. They were practicing. They were, they were saying, we need to put our, our amon, our faith into action. We need to not just kind of believe that God is, but we need to put it to the test. And we need to put it into practice. Whereas the 10 tribes, they had, the, the, the 10 um, spies that had gone, they had seen all that God had done in the plagues in Egypt. They had seen what God had done at the Red Sea. They were there. They knew, they intellectually knew and were convinced that God was powerful and that God was loving. And yet at this moment, God said he was so upset with them because they were not practicing faith. The, the faith had not been realized. There was something missing. There was a gap between that knowledge, that understanding, that believing God is all of those things, and then actually moving forward in faith at what God was asking them to do. Fear had begun to come in and severed the head of their faith. And they begin to lose that. And ultimately God said, all right, fine. If you can't believe in me, I'm gonna send you into the wilderness to wander for the next 40 years until this generation passes away. And then after them, a new generation who will believe in me, I will lead them into the land. And it was a harsh punishment, a harsh reality that they had to deal with because of unbelief. Unbelief was the problem. And so um, God was upset with these people they knew that God existed. They had seen him show up in the fire and cloud, and yet they, they weren't believing. So we have to understand that when God's speaking of faith in the Hebrew, the connotation is that there has to be some sort of leaning into it. That's where trust comes in, that word trust. Trusting God steadily is what is required for true faith. Um, there's a story that, uh, that I've, that's been used to describe this for a long time. I've heard it, and, uh, and it's helpful. But it's basically a story about a tightrope walker. And he had set a, a rope from uh, one side of the other to uh, over Niagara Falls. And he was going to walk across the tightrope back and forth. And, uh, and as he set this rope up and as he kind of stood on the top of the tightrope for the first time, all these crowds gathered around him. And, and he called to the crowd and he said, do you believe that I can walk across this rope? 
And the crowd just started cheering. Yeah, we believe, we believe, we believe. And so he did. He walked there and back with so much ease that it was, it was amazing. And, and then to spice things up a little bit, he, he got down off the rope and he got this wheelbarrow and he brought this wheelbarrow and, and he said, do you believe I can push this wheelbarrow across this rope and back? And the people were like, yeah, we believe, we believe, we believe. They thought it was awesome. They'd seen how easy it was for him. And so sure enough, he walked the wheelbarrow across and came back. And then the people were just totally dumbfounded. And then he said to them, hey, you've seen me walk across. You've seen me take this wheelbarrow. You've seen how easy it is for me. Now who believes I can put a person in the wheelbarrow and I can walk them there and back? And all the people were like, yeah, we believe, we believe, we believe. And he goes, okay, can I get a volunteer? And there was no more shouting. There was no more we believe. There was this moment of truth. Does, does anyone really believe? Does anyone willing to take this step and put themselves in this wheelbarrow at the mercy of this tightrope walker? And ultimately, that's where we are. I mean, that's what God is asking of us. That is God, what God is requiring. This is the moment of truth for us. It's easy for us to sit back and say, yeah, we've, God is, God is. It's easy for us to sing these songs. But we got to put these things into practice. There's only one way that you're going to experience the power and love of God. Just like there's only one way you can really experience what, what that tightrope walker, you got to get in the wheelbarrow and you got to go across that water and you got to hear the rush of the water and the wind and the mist on you and go across. That's a completely different experience. And this is what God is calling us to. Another example, I was talking to a friend this week and we were talking about sports because they're not happening and... It's desperate and hard and sad. And so we were talking about sports and how faith, the analogy of sports is basically, you know, we all have these teams that we love. We really, you know, support them and we really believe in them and we really cheer for them. And, and, and yet, you know, there's, there's people who stay at home and watch their team. There's people that buy tickets and go sit in the stadium to watch their team. There's people who actually try out and make the team and stand on the sidelines. And then there's people who actually are on the team, on the field, taking the hits. And, and, I, and this is where we got to be a little bit careful here, church. We got to be a little bit careful. Are we people who are sitting at home? <laughs> Sounds a little weird at this moment because everyone's sitting at home, you know, watching church. But, but are, are we sitting at home just kind of cheering on, listening to the stories of God, watching other people serve God, and, and we're kind of counting it as faith for us? Or maybe we've done even more and we're actually kind of showing up from time to time, but we're still watching others. Really what God is requiring each of us, no matter what you've done in your past, no matter what your strengths or weaknesses are, no matter whether you have a good Enneagram personality or not, it doesn't matter what it is. God wants to, you to get in the wheelbarrow. God wants to use your life to bring about his righteousness in this world. God has a plan for you. God wants to lead you to the land flowing with milk and honey. Yes, there will be giants. Yes, there will be battles. Yes, there will be hard times and things to face. But there will be an experience of his presence, of his peace, and you'll begin to see the, those things established, those enduring things, faith, hope, and love. And faith can take care of all the shame of our past. Hope can take care of all the uncertainty of our future, which leaves us to love right here in the now. This is what God is wanting to do. This is what we need to do. We need to put our faith in him. We need to trust God steadily. We need to not just be consistently convinced of the evidence, but we got to put it into practice. We have to move forward in faith. 
and take a step with God. That's what he is calling us to. And so basically the faith God desired from them, what I think it looked a lot like um, if you put the New Testament and Old Testament together is we got to remember God's sovereign love and power consistently. We have to fight off the very real fears that threaten, and threaten us. And we have to go forward instead of shrinking back. We have to go forward instead of shrinking back. And to try and kind of bring this to some sort of application for today, um, for me this week, it really honestly looked a lot like this. It looked like um, not having a bad attitude about all this. It looked at uh, like kind of fighting off the grumpy or fearful realities that, that, that were kind of coming my way and instead trying to lean into being innovative and bold, looking for the opportunities, looking for God's fingerprints in these things. And there were a couple times where I did. It was like, well, I think the most wise and prudent decision, you know, would be to not give this money or to not take this step. But then I could feel this, this stirring inside of me, the faith of God inside me saying, no, 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 hold on. Hold on. Yes, prudence and wisdom is good, but at the same time, I'm calling you to be innovative and bold in this time. And in this specific moment, I want you to go forward. I want you to be on the offensive. I want you to, to go on the attack and not just kind of sit around and wait and see what happens. And the only reason that's possible is because I know God is powerful and loving. I know if God is for us, then who could be against us? And so I want to encourage you to kind of think about those things in your, in your marriage, in your life, in your family, in your work. It might be just kind of going out there and really sharing your faith with someone, telling pe people about Jesus. Maybe that's what he's calling you. Maybe that's putting your faith into action. Maybe it's, it's going to get some counseling. You know you've been needing to do it, and now the kind of cracks in whatever your relationships are are now great chasms because of this, and it's time for you to take that step and to say, okay, God, I, I trust you. You're good, and, and, and I trust you have a better plan for me, and I know something's wrong, so I'm going to go for it. It might be giving financially to someone or helping somebody out where your tendency is to kind of hoard and save a little bit, and, and right now God is saying, no, give. Go, get involved in that mess, in that challenge, and serve somebody. There's a lot of different ways it could play out, but let the Spirit of God speak to you. But real quick, before we close, I want to talk to those people who don't know Jesus, who, who don't know if they know Jesus, who you would say, I'm not on the sidelines, I'm not on the stands, I don't even know if I'm at home watching. I'm, I, I'm, I'm just kind of just coming to this understanding of Jesus, or actually most of my life I've been against Jesus. I want to talk about what it would look like for you to put your faith in, in God. First of all, you've got to remember that he sent his son to die on a cross to show you his love. And then he raised him from the dead to show you his power. You've got to start off acknowledging that, that there is a God and you're not that. You're not in control. You never have been. It's always been an illusion. You've got to ask him to forgive your sins and to put his spirit in you. And I would encourage you to do it out loud. And I would encourage you to tell somebody that you did it. Those are some important steps. This is how you get into the wheelbarrow of his love and forgiveness and guidance and peace. And for the rest of us, it's, it's just continuing to remember God's power and love when we mess up. It's continuing to seek God and, and ask him what he would want us to do and then be brave, be brave, be brave. 
God will never ask us to do something that doesn't require faith. It's the, it's the way that we please him when we act in that way. So we're going to sing a song now and, and, and prepare our hearts for communion. And uh, I'd encourage you to just take advantage of this time. During this song, really pray and ask God, hey, what is it you want me to do? And if you don't know God or if you haven't you know, invited him into your life, out loud, say a prayer. If there's someone you're with that could help you with that, do that too. Take advantage of this time to really take, talk to the Lord and, and let him speak to you. And then Mark will come up and lead us in communion and we'll all take it together at the end.